Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N-Guitars.com What's up, everybody? It's 2 p.m. on a Wednesday, uh, depending on where you're at. Brett Puffenberger is joining us for today's episode because you're really popular on the social medias. And I wanted to, you know, talk about social media and cannabis with you on the show. And then, Miggy, how's things going in your world, man? Life's good, man. And, you know, like we were talking backstage uh, in the green room, you know, Brett, I thought of you as a cannabis journalist. But how would you explain, how would you say, explain yourself and what you are? Me? Oh, geez. Uh, I guess I'm a public relations guy at the heart, right? Like, uh, I went to grad school for public relations. That's how I like to consider myself, though I, I think most other people would say I'm a lot of other things, too. Though I, I will be honest and say that I, I color everything through a PR lens, right? Like, I look at how it's going to impact the way people look at cannabis as a business. I look at how it's going to impact my clients or my friends or, or companies I'm associated with. And so, if anything, I am an intrinsically biased PR guy who just happens to like to pontificate on all of the BS and crazy stuff happening in the cannabis world on a day-to-day basis. And I think anybody who's been in cannabis for more than about 15 minutes knows there's no shortage of crazy things to talk about. (laughs) There is not. There is not. You know, and I just did want to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of Cannabis Legalization News. One of the things that we're talking about today is uh, these cannabis social networks and which one on social media is the best i came by uh, brett on linkedin because you have a fairly large uh, reach on the linkedin uh, uh, platform uh, tell us about how you built that up so i'll be very honest with you i was very specific in building my linkedin following and my linkedin network and i did it in a very specific way so i, I looked at linkedin as two things one it's an an a network of experts, right? It's the only place you can go where experts are talking about things they're experts in with the mask off. So for somebody like me, who's, you know, sales, marketing, business development, public relations, a lot of those things you can't talk about on other social media because then people feel like they're a number or a demographic or a, a factor in your business. But on LinkedIn, you can. You can have those open conversations about specific things with other people who also do those things for a living. And then the other side of that is, I look at LinkedIn as the world without gatekeepers. Your target audience isn't 
just Joe Blow weed smoker. It's not just whoever, it's decision makers, it's thought leaders, it's the people who matter in the industry at that level, right? Who can affect change, who can change the course of a company, who can do all of these things. Uh, so first and foremost, I knew that I was gonna be a little bit of a firebrand when I started. So I was quiet for the first about year. I did nothing but comment lightly to get my name out there and add as many people as I could in the industry. And then I specifically and intentionally went with a very PR focused approach, right? So I wrote every post for the first couple of months, like a press release, crazy headline that nobody's going to believe. And then a little bit of backing it up. And then you have like uh, in journalism or public relations, you have the idea of the fold, right? So it comes from old school newspapers, what's underneath where the newspaper is folded up and what's not. In social media, we have that as the see more button, right? Like everybody's using a little version of the post. So I would put ludicrous stuff above the, pol- of the, above the fold with the intention of people going, this guy's an idiot or this guy's mm. crazy they're going to click see more because my objective was to have them see more. And then I would structure it like a press release. I would write out like well thought out researched points. And then I would always end it with a question because the last thing I want to do is be another one of these loud mouths on social media. Who's just treating it like a canvas, right? Who's just like pontificating their BS on the world and saying, this is my opinion, like it or leave it. I wanted to have a conversation because what's the point of being amongst experts unless we're having a conversation. So that's how I approached it, right? Like I built the network first. I, I, I found as many people as I could. I think I had about 8,000 connections when I started truly posting regularly every day, maybe like two or three months into the pandemic. So maybe 18 months ago, I, I really started digging into that. And then it's been a consistent thing since, right? So I post five days a week, once in a blue moon, I'll post on the weekends, but it's Monday through Friday and then I follow a very specific format, right? So I only talk about five subjects. I talk about the things I, I, I find interesting or the things I'm an expert in. I talk about personal stories. I talk about humorous things that are just intrinsic to weed culture. Uh, I talk about specific chaotic things in the industry, like, you know, hey, look at this stupid thing that's going on and check it out. Uh, and then I, I try to spice it up a little bit with generic stuff that has nothing to do with cannabis, right? So just PR or just marketing or just human things. Uh, and I bounce those back and forth so it's never stagnant. And that's kind of the whole secret sauce in a nutshell. Yeah. I hear no. the echo. But you hear I, the echo? Yeah, I don't I hear the echo. You okay. Cool. Now it's it's resolved itself. I'm going to blame that on the live feed. I just um, magic. Yeah, magic. But uh, no, I was going to ask Brett uh, because I've noticed that I did like one comment or something on LinkedIn and it just kind of blew up and then people would you know DM you and start talking. I'm like, man, I have been ignoring this platform for a while because I was doing YouTube so much. But, you know, looking at the two platforms, YouTube has given us just crap in this. And I'm not trying to bash them or anything like that. But, uh, you know, they will shut you down. They'll dial down the amount of views you get. Facebook has done the exact same thing. We have like a 300,000 page, uh, you know, Facebook page. No one cares because like you just you just don't even get served data. Uh, When have you noticed any um, um, uh, what do they call that censorship uh, of your account through LinkedIn? 
No, I've seen very little discussion. So I, I've seen a few instances for other people where like uh, there was one particular guy who posted like pounds on deck and had like weed in trash bags. That got deleted. Um, Matthew Harold, my buddy, who's a fellow you know cannabis marketer, he got his account suspended for like 24 or 48 hours, but it had oh. nothing to do with cannabis content. We actually threw a webinar about how to properly do LinkedIn and LinkedIn flagged his account as a bot because he had too many people add him or like connect with him in too short of amount of time. So he tripped uh, an algorithm, right? It was a he, different algorithm. Yeah. Right. It wasn't a cannabis thing. Uh, and then lastly, Bill from Beard Bros Farms got his uh, post deleted one time and we still haven't figured out why, though it may, uh, we still don't know, like, right. It was like this very generic kind of square, uh, you know, Hey, support mammoth distribution. They distribute our products throughout California. That was it. Uh, so that's the only three instances I've ever seen or heard of it, though I, I, I'm sure there's a few others. Let's call so. it like it is. As long as we're talking about cannabis as an industry and not just blatantly trying to sell weed to people through LinkedIn, right? probably going to be all right. Yeah. And something different different in the other one. I mean, like uh, I did a video and it was how, to, how much does it cost to start a grow? Uh, and as soon as I uploaded it, it was already flagged uh, on YouTube. Now, I did intersperse some stock footage of weed, which may have done it. But, you know, it's just so difficult to try to get out there. And once you start even like growing and then you'll be shut down and then doing a few posts on LinkedIn and just seeing it like go out there and reverberate and reach more people. I'm like, you mean they don't censor you? No. Now you can even add cannabis as a skill. No. Sh no. Wow. I awesome. to do that. But, you know, I think with LinkedIn, though, you have to look at social media, too, as what's his intention as far as like, you know, Instagram is just pictures, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and what are you going to really connect with on pictures? You're just trying to like look at my pretty flower. But LinkedIn was created as a uh, business network. You know, that was the intention behind it. But also, Brett, though, before like LinkedIn exists, before like actual uh, uh, real industry exists, you know, people couldn't stand out there. Right. Like like you got out there during the Florida market, right? When that was your foot in the door. Yep. But like the before times, like before people could say, I am Brett Puffenberger, you know, like what, how do you think people can get to the masses without a LinkedIn? Do you think? Is there a way? I don't know that there is a way. I guess if there is a way, it's going to be good old fashioned PR, right? Like aiming for publicity because there are no community guidelines to what your local paper or your regional publication can cover. And a lot of the times that's as simple as approaching them, right? There are so many. Let's back that up a little bit. The media has focused heavily on cannabis for the last probably 10 years, like any major happening in cannabis, good, bad, or ugly is going to get coverage. Unfortunately, most of the time, they don't know where to look. And it's not their fault. Like, I'm not bashing journalists in that way to say, like, you know, they should have done their research. But how do they know? And if people were more, um, I guess you would call it, I don't know, if they thought ahead of it a little bit and they were a little proactive with their approach reach out to your local reporters, call the local newspaper office, call the regional newspaper office, be a pain in their butt. It's almost the same thing as when we were all activists, right? Like when we were just advocates and we were calling a senator every week until they knew our name, when we were calling your local representative until they knew who we are, 
do the same thing with the editor of your your publications, right? Like eventually they're going to be like, well, maybe we should listen to this guy. Or they might hate you, but they're at least going to know your name and they're going to think of it the next time a cannabis article comes up. Because if you look at it, it doesn't matter what mainstream news you're on, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, they all run at least one weed story a week. And if you ran one weed story a week, you got 52 points of contact in your name that's driving traffic in your direction, right? Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's fascinating. So some of the just plain old fashioned PR, uh, you know, that brings us to one of the other types of uh, stories that was in the week that's kind of related to social media and weed. This one with Burner and Weed Maps are going to be launching a cannabis-friendly social media site. Do you think, because Cookies has done, Cookies has really expanded well. How's Burner doing at his PR campaign, do you think? So I think Cookies is a unique animal in that they are now a, a lifestyle brand who happens to sell weed. They're no longer necessarily a weed brand. And that's both good and bad, right? So like, I can go buy a cookies hoodie and Foot Locker. That's epic. Never has there been a level of acceptance of a cannabis brand in the mainstream world like that. On the flip side of that, my 14-year-old nephew wears cookie sweatpants to school and gets away with it. And then I have to be upset. Like, are we grooming children? Are we doing this? Mm -hmm. So like, that's a bit of a double-edged sword in that their brand is now kind of seen as representative of cannabis as a whole. But it's almost like this old tongue-in-cheek way how we used to talk before we could put it on our resumes and talk about it openly where it's like a, a joke right the whole concept of calling it 420 or something silly like that they've done that hmm. the whole idea of, of a, a cannabis themed social media app uh without I don't want to say anything negative on cookies because I think what they've done is really amazing. And I don't want to say anything negative about Weed Maps, though I will be honest, I've never logged into their software once in my entire life ever. Uh, it just does not fit in my needs. Uh, again, that's not a, a condemnation. It just is a fact. But it seems like they're redoing something that's already been done, right? There are already a couple of cannabis-specific social media apps. Tricom.com has one. There's Sizzlet with the Beard Bros guys. There's High Curious with my friend Lauren. Like there are cannabis social media apps mm -hmm. already, right? Weed maps, weed life, weed well, then, leaf wire, bud hubs, mass roots. That one is a that's a throwback to well, throwback yeah. How many have come and gone? Because mass mm -hmm. roots is still not around. And then there was the other one, um, higher. Um, the dude was based out of Massachusetts, uh, but it had a really great format. But these guys seem to get started, collect the money, and then walk away and forget about like what the real intention was with that format, you know, because if I had to guess, I would say that the weed maps burner social media play is more of a data collection idea so that they can understand consumer data in the cannabis space in a way that we don't currently, then it is going to be a true social media play, right? So like, if you're smart, and if you're capable, Instagram is an amazing business to consumer network, if you do it right, right? Like, don't be just posting pictures of weed, but like the Beard Bros are a really good example, right? 115,000 followers continuing to grow. All they do is aggregate news, like put out original content that has nothing to do with selling products. That's fine and dandy. There's no, there's no issue with that, right? And if you, if you read carefully on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter community standards, there are ways around their bans, right? There's the whole concept of if it's advocacy, political, educational, 
that's perfectly allowed. You are allowed to educate about whatever you want. You can't sell. You can't cross into that world. And that's kind of where you're at with it, right? Well, Beer Bros has faced some recent uh, posts that were getting flagged. I've seen some ridiculous posts that you're like, why was this flagged? But you're right. We had uh, uh, early on in, in the show uh, last year, we had uh, uh, the dude up north, uh, Tom, uh, the Indian chap. Um, anyways, he was talking about Instagram, how he would buy burner accounts so he could advertise. Because eventually, you know, we... We can't advertise. We haven't been able to advertise with the, our Facebook page. Like, so we Tom and I started his Facebook page. Well, Tom started it. I've been helping him with it for 10 years. Like, we started 10 years ago, nothing for sale. It's just entertainment and information. And, you know, we, we peaked out at 300,000 and, and we still have a pretty good outreach. Like, right now, I'm looking at our monthly uh, numbers. We hit almost uh, 70,000, 65,000 people in a month, which is still amazing for like stupid cat memes. But, like, you know, there needs to be a non-shadow ban about this anymore you know, you well, know? why but i i you know but i built everything for cannabis industry lawyer on seo as i can't really buy and now you kind of can like i do have one google ad running where it says like dispensary applications i don't have the word cannabis in it and it hasn't said no but you know it's that fine line where if i'm doing that webinar about like how to put together an application there i'm now complicit in you know furtherance of this federal crime and so that's when you usually see the uh, social media accounts be like "Ooh, we we have to distance ourselves from this interesting that um, i have the beard brothers site up so uh, how long you been with the the beard brother people i have to get a newsletter pop up on mine i've been slacking on my newsletter game gotta sign up right now while i'm watching i got there you go i should Ah. and then the create content button i think is that's a wonderful idea yeah, so we're actually uh, getting ready to start kind of promoting that more. We, we just put together some finalized like uh, contribution guidelines. So it's not just people putting out advertisements for their stuff. It's not low quality 400 word BS, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually started with Beard Bros as a client. So I own my own consulting company. I, you know, really the, the byline of that is if you look at my resume, I look like any other corporate cannabis chad, except... Mm-hmm. I don't look like one as a person and I don't live my life like that. So right. my whole goal was how do we give the big guns to the little guys, right? How do we beat the big boys at their own game? How do we how do we compete with them on marketing and social media and, and all of these different things? And I'll let you in on a little secret. I, I built I build almost everything with every client, like coin operations, so counterinsurgency operations. And, and this will be a little tongue in cheek and a little bit controversial, but like the biggest military in the world got their butt kicks by dudes in dresses and flip flops for 20 years and ended up losing a war. That gives us some pretty darn good framework to work off of, right? So sure, but Afghanistan was beating the crap out of USSR before it. And I mean, they have a history of playing this. There's a, there's a history of that in general, right? Like, so the little guys can win if they follow a specific strategy. And I think what it takes is a knowing the strategy of the big boys. I've worked in corporate cannabis. I understand how they function. I understand their limitations and their things um, like that. Right. So if we can start implementing some of those those mindsets into smaller cannabis operations, medium-sized cannabis operations, the non-corporate titan cannabis, 
we're golden. And then if you really look at it, like, uh, you know, kind of completely going full circle in the PR thing, public relations is a really simple game, right? Image plus identity equals reputation. Reputation is everything that is thought of of your company. Identity is what you control. Image is what other people say about you. And if you look at the average big cannabis company, they have epically good identities, right? Like if I go on a True Leave website or a Green Thumbs Industries website or another big boy, and I look at what they say about themselves, I would think they were the greatest company in the history of mankind, period. But if I go do some simple basic stuff like a Google search of their company name and scandal, lawsuit, charges, union, bribe, they're way open on that. So their, their identity and their image are way off. So their reputation is all dependent on perspective of who's looking at it. But for a small cannabis operator, if you look at what they're doing, you can beat them, right? Like they have cracks in their armor. It doesn't have to be David and Goliath. It's more like uh, whoever took out Achilles with the arrow to the ankle. Like they've got exposure, right? They've got cracks in the armor. You know, I, 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 I see what you're saying. And like, you know, I think you're, you're, it sounds like you're summar, summarizing high times for the past 10 years. But like, you know what I'm saying, though? But like, here, here, here's my thing. Uh, and I, I hate to stroke my fucking own chain and all that shit. But like, you know, I, I've been fucking writing about this goddamn plant for over 12 years online, you know. And, you know, in the beginning, that's why Miggy 420, because it's not going to come out with my own name. Because like, oh, hey, smoke hey. if you got him. Smoke if you got him. Thank you, Collateral Base. Yep. Don't forget, you can buy stuff at the Collateral Base. Usually my services. <laughs> Pretty much. Now, now, do I have to, like, mark this video as, like, a paid promotion because my company pays for me to do this? That's an inception shit, but I don't think so right now. Yeah, it's too meta. It's too meta of a question. <laughs> but, but, you know, you know, back to, like, the, the, the corporate cannabis, the big blog people, like, like you were saying earlier how there's no cannabis, like, news right you know there's no cannabis journalist per se because that implies some like non-biased like altruistic like great you know publishing of articles every day pretty much but you know uh like high times you know they really they, they were ahead of the, the game with on even online back when stephen hager used to be uh, uh they used to stream goddamn cannabis cups like even before streaming was a thing like you, you pay through so they were always ahead of things until they weren't and then um you know the internet came about and i just think people look at it as competition whereas if you like you were talking about like branding and, and being representation like the beer bros like i i i don't know never had any of their weed never can because i'm living in seattle but i love their website and their news because i trust them as a source but there's also this weird where people see the 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 billion dollar industry which is just in one state you know now we're talking multi-billion with legal states multi-billion legal industry if you're a gateway of media for people you 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 could become a, a a kingmaker but like you have groups like and, and i'm about to to throw one out there and i like your thoughts on this group because I, I still question who they are but the blacklist um you know the blacklist i question these guys i've, I've seen many articles one about like they, they question whether they got dirt on burner I've seen people who have a been rubbed wrong. I uh, visit the, the their Instagram page. That's what they got, right? Like most of us have started with a Facebook page, an Instagram page. Somehow they get funding. See, I've been doing this thing for just trying to get not go to jail. You know, like now with Tom, you know, if I can get some funding, 
Hell, I've been trying to even holler at uh, 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 what's a flashlight. I, I, yeah, but I, what I, is this, what's the business model of uh, Beard Bros? And so, like, I uh, well, they're a, bro I, I'm first. a lawyer, you know, and then I was a consultant and I build stuff on the internet. And so, you have to kind of figure out how the business model of a particular piece of media works. And I just don't get that. I, I don't understand the industry. I've never been in it, you know. So there's actually Beard Bros is a couple of different things, right? So they're obviously a high THC brand available throughout California. That's first and foremost, they're license holders, right? They branched off into CBD and wellness products, uh, probably around the onset of the pandemic, because why not, right? If you've got the big following, if you've got the attention, you might as well start putting out products that are available to people like in your shoes that doesn't don't all, all, you know already have access to what they're currently doing. And then kind of came a breaking point for them where they realized that they were starting to put out more and more news and more and more information. And, and a big part of our relationship, so I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, they started as clients and now we're working more as partners and we're driving toward a bigger thing that's not quite ready for announcement yet, but we're getting there. Where it's a true reformation into a media company, right? Mm -hmm. Using that following to their advantage, being able to put good players and relevant people out there. Because let's call it like it is, they've built probably one of the most solid reputations of calling it like it is, being what they say they are, authenticity in its most true form. And if you can figure out how to, I guess, imbue or knight other people with that, that's a very powerful tool. And something we work on pretty regularly is events, companies, people always want to tap into that, right? You can even look at something like uh, a couple of podcast interviews with like Kim Rivers from Truly, where she says she's buying clout. She's buying, you know, community. She's buying into these things where by partnering with West Coast brands. And I think that does apply, but only if you have some morality to it. And by no means am I saying they don't, but, you know, look at the news. You can you can see for yourself. Oh, man, I just roasted her uh, husband in um, two videos that I just did because, you know, it's I, I have this new video that will be coming out on Monday. Uh, top 10 ways to get a cannabis license for 2022. One of them, spoiler alert, corruption, bribes, bribes, bribes. Yeah. And then, but then there's, I, I don't want to foreshadow like, you know, because it's a kind of a joke because like the number, it's like a top 10 list type of thing. And so first it's bribes. And then there's a little playoff of bribes. That's even a better idea than having yourself do the bribes. But, you know, it's, it, it's, that's one of the ways because we'll do a lot of stuff about uh, the evolution of the policy to get the money to be able to go prosecute them. You have to bring those bribery charges. But then you've placed these uh, um, new entrepreneurs in a system that is evolving in real time and the laws are actually changing. Uh, and so it is just that, that line, if there is one in politics and in business where uh, people you know, do quid pro quos, why wouldn't cannabis have a whole bunch of it to go with. I mean, if, if industries as simple as ADM, I mean, you've seen that movie with Matt Damon, the informant, where they were fixing the price of niacin for, for corn. If they were able to have corruption and, and in the ADM industry, of course they're gonna have it in cannabis. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Matt Damon. <laughs> Just uh. But you know, uh, when we're for this discussion today, uh, I googled, uh, you know, cannabis social media, and then I came across this article by Curate. Um, because my point was earlier when we were talking about like how you started with LinkedIn, 
And then, you know, Facebook is just more for like entertainment, social value. Instagram is just for pictures. I think most people and a lot of them are like followers of ours is they don't know how to fucking work the internet. They don't know how to use social media. So like, you know, why are you there? Why are you looking at Facebook? Why are you getting involved with this? So like one of the things I thought was a great point in this article was what's the point of your cannabis social business networks? So like there's B2B sales. That's for some other, you know, there's, there's, there's social medias like that. Uh, LinkedIn exists for that. LinkedIn yeah. networking. LinkedIn like, works. Yeah. Huge, like hiring, firing, and then news and discussion. News and discussion is really the one that can be Facebook and, and everything else, but mm-hmm. depends on what you are, right? Like if you're a store, you're a grower. If you're a grower, be like the beer bros and, and you know, you'll, fucking get a following of your flower that you just take pictures of that's all, you know what i mean there's not much discussion on instagrams we're pretty close to getting well i don't know i mean like the the craft grow is going to get stood up and then there's more information from the department of agriculture and it turns out another one of my clients actually want a dispensary as well so yeah better content and and that type of inside access coming it's going to take forever i mean uh, brett you're in virginia uh, there's really no licenses on the East Coast, uh, except for those huge big boys that are out there. I mean, the, the mom and pop shops, to the extent that they exist, and do they? I mean, talking about mom and pop shops, that was the story out of Illinois, where Dispensary 33 signed a deal where they're selling their two Chicago locations for $55 million to Air Wellness. Two dispensaries, $55 million bucks. Damn. Yeah. That hurts my brain. It's like I don't know who walked out. Walked away with that kind of money. I look at it pretty simply, right? So everything west of the Mississippi, by and large, is mom and pops and craft grows and horizontal license structure, and it's very much the the core of that. And then right. what happened is Florida went legal, yeah. And it's like a whole bunch of venture capitalist lawyers, bankers. No offense, lawyer. <laughs> but hey, you know I what I'm saying? Like, a banker. banker. I was a, I was bank, a bank lawyer. lawyer. Right. A yeah. bunch of those guys went. Ah, that makes sense. They saw what Florida did and putting out just a piece of paper is worth $55 million, right? Like you can mm-hmm. see stuff in, in ludicrous valuations coming out of that state. And it's like the rest of the East Coast states and including kind of the North Med- Midwest, if you want to count like Illinois and some of those states kind of went, ah, that's how we do it. All we have to do is stack the deck in our favor. And then we come up with these kind of fake talking points of like stable markets and health and safety, whatever they want to call it. And that's going to be a, I'm going to go off way to the right for a second. And uh, I'll go for it. I dip out and come back back to see if my my echo thing goes away. away. Sounds good. So my thought here is real simple. I think upon federal legalization, we're going to see, if we want to see a successful version of it, it's going to be a whole lot more like the milk industry than anything else. And I know that sounds ludicrous. Yeah, how sounds- Think about how the milk, let me back this up a little bit. Think about how the MSOs are structured. All of the big corporate cannabis companies are vertically integrated from seed to sale. Start thinking there and go, what other industry does that, Right. None. Nobody has vertical integration to the degree we have here. Right, right. Then you start looking at they exist in a silo within individual states, right? So each state is its own set of rules and their business model is not meant for basic things like traditional unit economics, producer and consumer states, yada, yada, yada. So in my mind, what's going to happen is upon federal legalization and upon interstate commerce, 
what really needs to happen is, like I mentioned while he was gone, a milk model, right? A, a single, uh, you think my laptop? I can fix that. I, 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 I think that's I think the that's echo we hear. Sometimes when it uh, compensates, because the, oh. you know, there you go, now it's gone. Mickey it's like is, magic! Yeah, but Miggy is an ISO uh, guy, so like he's a certifications guy, and so he's always talking about the specs and the GMP, and so he's in a cow lab, and he's like, hmm, I think it's this. And he was right. Give me glasses. Did I fix it? Yeah, I yeah, changed, good, bro. changed good. my microphone, uh, so that guy can go away now. So the milk model is pretty simple, right? There's one large industry group that put together the Got Milk campaign, and it's all about awareness, and it's not specific to anybody. And then what you have is a network of small farmers who all collaborate to a large centralized regional processing hub who then distribute to a varied network of retailers. And we already kind of see that in the license structure of cannabis, right? Like something ridiculous, like 94% of licenses go to cultivation or retail, meaning 6% of the market is supporting that. So if we look at that, right? Like if we look at it, how it's already playing out, it's not that dissimilar, right? A whole bunch of farmers put all of their stuff into a, a processing facility, which we see in, in the extraction realm or the packaging realm or the distribution realm. And then it all gets proliferated out to a bunch of different stores. So like if I live here in Virginia, I have access to Shenandoah Pride milk. And if I go buy yeah. Shenandoah Pride milk, I can go buy that at Food Lion or Martin's or Whole Foods or true, you know, whatever, Wegmans. Or on the alternative of that, I also have several varieties that are available, except the same truck drops them off every day. They're getting processed at the same facility. They're just coming from different farmers. So the way I see it is we really want a, a, a thriving industry that allows both sides to play, right? If we're not playing favorites and we go, I want craft farmers and small businesses, and I also want corporations to be able to do all of the things they do at scale, yeah. milk is the answer. I hear you. I, I just think, too, the lowest denominator is still going to be like, you know, half a million, which the average person doesn't have, right? Like, and not until the banking rules. Well, the able. average person doesn't have the money for a milk farm either. True. You know, like the milk farm's not cheap, you know. Uh, and, but, but with cannabis, you know, it's got, you have to stay more liquid because the damn law keeps changing on these people. Like, that's the only reason, like, I'm so grateful and I wish, like, like in Washington State, like, I wish I bought clones and started my own stuff back then. But then I see the the rigmarole these people go through, man. I, you know, I could have went all in and lost it all right in the transition of 502 out here. So, uh, you know, I, I just think, you know, until, you know, state banking is, is a thing, you know, because we're talking about equity for everybody, you know, and, and equity is a chance to just get involved in this damn market, you know, and, but, you know, Brett, back to the, uh, uh, the, the, the social, the, the gateways though, you know, because like, you know, I, I mentioned the blacklist and I just think that I see people oh. who are getting ready for like they're trying to create these funnels of like we are your authority because they have like 20 goddamn people weird me out when you have a Facebook page with like every fucking city in the world or like every you know, what I mean, like it seems a little excessive. I get that you're in this market, but like, why can't you just be that one page you're casting a wide net? So yeah, I, let me let me start with I like the blacklist. I'll be at their Hall of Flowers party. I'll I like I have no problem with them as people. I question the business model in the sense that there is a fine line between talking trash and providing a service. And I think that fine line lies on do you provide the solution to, right? Like there's one thing to call out all of the bad stuff that happens. And I probably tread that line pretty heavily with a lot of my LinkedIn content, right? Like 
I spend a lot of time poking at the things that are problems. I spend a lot of time bringing the stuff we all talk about behind closed doors out in the open, the water cooler talk, the things you talk about at your smoke circle where you start realizing that it's not just your company, it's not just your store, it's not just your state, it's a systemic problem of a boom industry or a nascent industry that we are. That's one thing, right? And the blacklist does an amazing job of poking that bear and pointing at the problem. And by no means am I, I saying they're messed up or wrong, but they're right. missing the key point of there must be a solution on the other end of that, right? And yeah. to me, that doesn't seem sustainable. And that's something we've tried to build as Beard Bros has moved into a media outlet. And I feel like a lot of people put us in like the competition bucket, right? Or they're similar or we're similar. And something we've always tried to do is don't just cover the bad. Cover the bad. Heck yeah, that needs to be talked about. But let's also talk about who's fixing it. Let's talk about who's doing right. Let's talk sure. about who's doing the good things. Well, well, you know, cannabis is still a weird animal where, like, people, and, like, where Tom and I sometimes, like, we're surprised, like, we got 3,000 people within, like, two years or whatever it was. You know, like, we got a lot of people. But then, you know, we, we talked to some really cool people, like Keystrop and, and Danny and stuff. But uh, a lot of times it's weird because like I'll show up to an event and people recognize who I am for what I've been doing and done. And the thing is people in the know, no, right. Like, you know, like the goal is to have a hundred million fucking followers and, and, and never like, you know, you have a billion views and be cool and get paid that way. But we don't, and it's fine. But the thing is, is like people are trying to create this gateway of information. Like we are the, the, uh, you know, we're your trusted source. And then I totally get the, the opinion bias part. Cause like I was saying, I have been writing this for 12 years and one of the first websites that I helped out with the brickweed, uh, you know, I'm very, very ex-girlfriendish about these people. I'm like, fuck these people. Like every time I discuss them, but I also have the receipts for things that I don't think as a human being, they should have done, but it's like people in the know, no. And, and, but most people don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's very, it's very disheartening and very frustrating at the same time, you know, because I think people don't care because they don't know there's an alternative, right? Like it kind of drills down to, I've actually been writing an article that'll be coming out on the Beard Bros site in a couple of days about the difference in buying in and selling out, right? Mm. A very fine line that's between those things. A lot of people sell out because they don't know they have the ability to buy in. And the place that this is, there's two places that I'm viewing that this is the most apparent. One is large West Coast brands selling out to East Coast brands and then acting like they don't see it, right? Like they're like, oh, what do you mean they have scandals or they're just chads or whatever, you know, silly term we want to call it. And then you show them and then there's like that whole cognitive dissonance thing because it's too late. They're already down the path. They can't stop it. The other side I see that playing out pretty often is when equity licenses are granted, like social equity or an inclusion licenses are granted, and then they sell out for 10% of their true value to a big MSO, and it's quickly becoming not true social equity, it's becoming a cheap buy-in methodology for the MSOs, because they will court them, back to the PR thing we talked about a minute ago. What they are you will, saying? Yeah, they what, what are you saying? <laughs> with their great identity, right? They will, they will blast their identity, the, what yeah. they say about them, and they will give them this sense of false security. And then they will just rip it out from under them. 
-hmm. and you'll go, huh. And then people wonder why it happens. And then they go, why was I hurt again? Right. And it all drives back to what's the definition of insanity, allowing the same thing to happen over and over and over. We we talk about that and the the history always repeating itself because people just don't remember enough. But what you said is, is correct. And they, they, there's just the secondary market. It's like, oh, well, we won't be able to apply. Well, that's fine. We'll just keep our powder dry, stack the money over there. As soon as they hand out those licenses and all that lawsuit crap's already done, we'll just come in and buy them out. Uh, And they just have their money and then they come in and they buy them out. And some people are applying for that lottery ticket like it is a flip in the sense that they spent maybe $200,000 on this business plan that was in an application. It hit. That asset's now worth $5 million. They're done. I mean, like this worked great. Uh, And some people actually want to be in in, uh, and operate and have the license. And it's so restrictive that, you know, it's been a lot of uh, it's been very rewarding uh, assisting social equity people get what they're worth and then seeing how New Jersey's handling it to really put the kibosh on the, the shenanigans that are going on out there in uh, jurisdictions like Illinois that don't have definitions of financial source agreements. And, and so I'm pushing back on on people that are trying to crush down social equity down to like, you know, a, a tiny fraction of a holding for a tiny fraction of a, of a, a payout. And I'm like, well, let's uh, request a valuation. No, I'll, I'll call the I'll call the, the the valuation firm. They'll give you an opinion regarding what they think the, the value of your license is worth based on its potential future earnings. Uh, and they're like, "What?" I'm like, "Yeah." So you know, just keep pushing back on that. But it's not required like it is in New Jersey. And so I'm very eager to see the Jersey application window come on up here in a few weeks and setting up these companies because you know I set them up before. But now I get to set them up with like requirements and conditions and I can just like phase it out. Be like, here's phase one. This is how much you've invested. Now you've hit that. OK, phase two. Uh, and and hopefully like, we'll see. But uh, I think a lot of the shenanigans might be put down because of their usage of the financial source agreements. On the other side of that coin, uh, I'm looking at it like a hedge fund and going like, oh, I can have a portfolio of companies. These are my social equity companies. These are minority owned companies. And, and, and that is a little silly. And you guys are talking about like a higher level. Like, Brett, I really do like your comparison of uh, selling out or buying in, right? Like, I'm really proud of Tom because he's done a, a, a really, like, I've known Tom since MySpace. And, you know, I know Tom I was because me. I was Tom week. from yeah. MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> but I know Tom from Weed Advocacy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I knew this guy as a straight guy. Like, like yeah, we've interacted online for years. And, and then I've helped him with like the internet, you know, pages and stuff. So it's like, Tom figured out how to buy in. He figured out, you know, like how to attribute his lawyer skills. And I think most people don't understand that. Like you have a skill set you can bring into Canvas. You don't have to goddamn grow all the time. Right. And I mean, you did. You found it uh, as, a, as a PR guy. Yeah. Have you told the story of how you got into cannabis yet on this broadcast? Because we mentioned it previously, but I thought that was in the green room beforehand. Right. Yeah, I think it was. All right. Uh, well, tell people how you got into cannabis. So. <laughs> It started so I found cannabis as a as a medicine or a drug or a, a thing for enjoyment in my late twenties, and I got into an argument with an ex girlfriend, and she said something mean like, "I hear veterans do great when they smoke weed. You should go smoke a joint." And I had no idea how. Like I didn't know where to buy it. I didn't know anything. The only person I knew that smoked weed was her mom. So I bought an eighth for like eighty bucks. Cue laughter. Everybody can make fun of me. I googled how to make a gravity bong on YouTube. Like I figured it out on my own. 
And then I loved it and I didn't stop. And there was a couple of years of me, you know, doing the the normal thing, doing the advocacy thing, speaking out, doing all those things. And then right around the time it went legal in Florida, uh, I had sold a motorcycle to one of the founders of one of the first cannabis companies in Florida. And I got fired for failing a P test because somebody knocked a motorcycle off a trailer while what I was- year? What wow. year is this then? 16, 2016. It's still mandated, I'm sure. As soon as something goes wrong, you're like, give him oh, a P yeah. test so we can fire him for drug use. Yeah. And, and I wasn't even there, mind you. Like I was at lunch when it happened. I came back and they were like, oh, so-and-so knocked a bike off the trailer. Like everybody's getting P tested. And I was like, that yeah. might be the policy because then that's the Drug-Free America Act. So you're allowed to maintain that. But if you do have that policy, it has to apply to everybody. So it's not like, well, why are you only giving me the P test? Because we watched you push over the bike. That's right. Like, what a dumb policy, yeah. though. I mean, you're, you're catching. The, again, we've talked about this. Compliance, before. compliance, <laughs> compliance. And so we're in the compliance industry now with cannabis. And just like all these other industries where they're trying to comply with workplace safety acts or some types of uh, drug free act, uh, they're trying to comply with some federal policies. So a, a corporate lawyer that's, you know, in employment law comes up with something that he can then sell as a package for hours of time to an employer. Facts. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I got fired from my job. Uh, and I called the guy and was like, Hey, I was good enough to sell you a motorcycle. Can I sell you some weed for you? And the rest was history. That's, That's pretty awesome, dude. Yep. And then you were working in the dispensary that day as a, as a bud tender. No, actually I, I started as a general manager. So there's, oh. there's oh, wow. kind of the thing about Harley that a lot of people don't realize Harley makes more money selling t-shirts than they do motorcycles. Holy so, shit. Once you hit like, uh, so I was a director of business development there. So once you hit the biz dev level, you're working two different worlds, right? It's not that different than a car dealership or any other, you know, item dealership, like big ticket purchase, but it's also a full blown retail experience, right? Like more yeah. people are buying t-shirts and, and jackets and helmets and gloves and, and keychains and whatever the hell else. Uh, so in, in effect, I made kind of the mistake a lot of people do when they jump into cannabis and I didn't realize my value and I took the step down, right? I went from director to a manager hmm. and then, and I kind of had this idea in my head. I'm like, oh, I'll just work my way back up. We'll be all right, right? Like that's how it works. It's meritocracy, America. And we all know that's not true. And then truth be told, a lot of my journey has been a whole lot of what predicated the, you know, the, the deal with Beard Bros, the the whole Project Mongoose thing that I kind of gained notoriety for at first, you know, collecting stories of all the bullshit, you know, the BS that happens in the cannabis world and giving it a home and somewhere where people can, you know, freely and openly talk about it, even if it's anonymously. And all that came because I experienced it, right? Like I, I worked for shady companies who did shady things in cannabis. And then I also ran one of the largest veterans cannabis charities in the country. And we worked with a boatload of cannabis companies. So I really got this very unique view, kind of from the outside, kind of from the inside, but always part of the greater industry vibe that really showed me the BS, right? And then it was yeah. like, it's kind of, so it's all very much like, as silly as it sounds, predicated on personal experience. It's the thing I figured out pretty early on is that it's not just my personal experience. It's everybody who's ever worked in weeds at every level, unless they're part of the problem. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, nice. Did you see there's a, a cannabis comic? I can't remember. He makes comic strips based out of like Maine Fox and Brown. Boston. The, oh, the one where he shows him vacuuming goddamn spider mites off. 
what the fuck? But yeah, I'm glad you read them. I want to work with that guy. I want to do comics. There was actually a, a, a different guy in Florida who did like funny Bitmoji videos with slightly off names of all the chaotic and crappy people in the Florida market. Oh my God. Uh, so they would do like, you know, whatever, uh, Plim Plivers or like Tim Clivers. And then it would be like a picture and like, yeah, this guy is great. Brian, Box Brown. Well, thank you for uh, coming on the show, Brett, and uh, telling us something that I didn't know. Uh, Miggy already knew this stuff, but of course he didn't tell me. And Box Brown was a guy, so I'm gonna have to check that out later. Um, that's pretty oh God, cool. he does comic strips about what happens. So, like uh, any of the big news happenings in cannabis, he breaks it down in this very cute, like cartoony way, where like there is no ifs, ands, or buts. Right? He he yeah. he erases the gray area of the conversation. They're just like this guy did this thing at this time, and this is why. Yeah, people are really good at having an axe to grind and saying and like and an intention and something that they're doing for it and putting on a completely different face. It's uh, the business aspect of the cannabis industry. I didn't think it was going to be as um, I don't know. I guess I was naive, but you're just seeing the stuff that they they do and when they're trying to offer to buy out licenses and the terms and all that stuff. It's it's theft, you know, and then not only that, it's uh, the social equity component of it. And there's no there's no like guardrails in the Illinois social equity and a lot of them, I'm assuming. So probably in California on the more municipal areas. But you know, social equity is like brand new and trying to give licenses based on those. Some of the new working. states are doing OK. Right. So like up until a year ago or the last six months or so, you had the two ends of the spectrum you had ultra limited license regulatory capture vertical integration uh you know the floridas of the world and then you kind of had this other side of the equation that is kind of playing out in oklahoma now where it was like 2500 bucks and you're in yep. and everybody can play and you end up with fifteen thousand licenses for three million people you're not sustaining that right like that's never going to happen and what we're seeing now is something like what Virginia has proposed or New Jersey or New York, where it's mildly limited caps, right? Like they've actually looked at some numbers, right? Like somebody out there was smart enough to go like, this is the estimated amount of patients. This is the you know average amount people buy a month. How many places can that actually support? And they're putting mild license caps. And by that, I mean something like, what did Virginia say? Like. 450 dispensaries, 150 extraction places, a thousand grows, something like that, right? Like it's mm -hmm. it's enough that realistically that's how many can successfully do it. And it kind of works, right? Like I think we're finally yeah. getting to a point where that balance. And then if you look at specifically Virginia and New Jersey, they've made some very specific carve outs for social equity where you can't look at it as a flip anymore. They must maintain ownership or they lose the license. And I think that's a beautiful play right that and then i can't you know because like i'm going to set these suckers up in jersey so like you know it's going to be convertible debt and all this other stuff but at least they're they're providing the uh, the ground rules so that you know i don't feel like i'm being a jerk of a lawyer that's just sitting there creating this bullshit sandwich that's going to pass the smell test when the regulators look at it and then boom it's some other deal um, I didn't do that for any of my clients. I'm like, no, this is a really sticky operating agreement. Good luck changing it unless you have like complete you know, agreement. 
Uh, and and so seeing the um, the stuff coming out of Jersey gives me a lot of hope and optimism to kind of marry the liquidity partners, which are people that just have like a couple million bucks sitting in their bank account and they want to you know put it to work with also the social equity uh, applicants that will be able to be the most uh, likely to win a license. You know, what's crazy with in a world of shadow bans and uh, social medias of popping out and everywhere else, all the new stuff coming out. Tubi's Freak Brothers is the most watched free streaming service. Like the Freak Brothers, Freak in the new Brothers. two days ago, as of Core Cutter News, uh, pretty awesome that the Freak Brothers is the most watched uh, on Tubi. I just thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, but isn't that like seven people? Isn't that how like Tubi works? Like there's like five people that are watching. I don't know. I have dude. no idea how many people. That means are there's at least Tubi, six but... watching it. Goddamn it! I didn't know it was called Tubi until just now. I thought it was Tubby. Like it might be Tubby. I could be selling it wrong too. Tubby. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody corrects me. I don't know. I can't just believe how many streaming services there are, and I still can't figure out the um, uh, uh, the, the business model of media. And then, yet here I am talking to people on the internet, trying to support my uh, law firm and consulting company instead. Hey, Brett, did you guys cover uh, uh, Uber getting into the weed market? Not yet, though. I believe we're gonna touch on that sometime at the end of the week. I think we were focused on some other stuff right now. We got Hall of Flowers and Emerald Cup coming up, so. Another Hall of Flowers, damn. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. What are the what is the Hall of Flowers, and when is the Emerald Cup? Because I do know what that is, but I don't know what the Hall of Flowers is. So Hall of Flowers, in my view, and somebody from there will probably be mad because we're exclusive media partners, and I'm not going to say it the way they would. Uh, But Hall of Flowers is effectively Baby MJ BizCon for a specific region in California. So it's a a business to business market where buyers and sellers and a very small select group of media can come together and interact in a big way in California specifically. Um, it's put together by Green Street. So like uh, Rama and Gary V's company, it's kind of geared toward being that, right? And then of course, Emerald Cup is like the end all be all of who actually has the best weed and how can we su- support the small farmers. So Hall of Flowers is December 8th and 9th. Uh, Emerald Cup is the 11th and 12th, so my wife slash partner at Good Ideas and I are hopping on a plane on the 7th. Bill from Beard Bros is picking us up at the airport. We're grabbing David Palachuk, the guy who wrote Branding Bud, uh, and we're going to run to our airport, right? Like, what a cool Airbnb to hang out in, right? Uh, I'm trying to convince them to let me do road cone gravity bongs in the pool. I don't know if anybody's agreed to it yet, but that's my goal. Uh, I guess we're going to have to find a road cone. Uh, So we're going to go... You know, Palm Springs, two nights, uh, two days, got a couple of cool after parties. The guys from Weed, the guys from Immersion Labs, uh, I believe Dr. Green Thumbs and Be Real have one. So we're going to hit all of those uh, over that like two days time span. And then we're going to road trip all the way from Palm Springs to L.A., wake up the next morning in L.A. We're going to hop on the highly capitalized news show for me and Bill that morning. And then we're going to jump in the car, drive like seven hours through San Francisco to Santa Rosa two days of Emerald Cup, and then a quick jump back to Sacramento, and then I fly home. Yep, Sacramento Airport's not bad. Uh, that's why I went into that one instead of San Francisco. I didn't want to fly into that when I went up to uh, uh, Benbow for uh, my Ganjier certifications. But that sounds like a excellent adventure that you're going to be having here in about uh, two weeks. Yeah, I'm actually pretty stoked. So here's a fun fact. I've worked with many California brands before. I've never been to California for anything other than military training when I was still in the Marine Corps. 
This is going to be much more fun for you. Though. And we're doing like 70% of the state, right? We're going from like almost as SoCal as it gets to like the very bottom of NorCal. And we're going to see like a whole bunch of stuff in the way. So, so you're a Hollywood Marine? No, I went to Paris Island, homie. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, wait, did they, they still have that boot camp while you were there? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So we still do split boot camp. No, they do a Mojave Viper, which is like the desert training for Iraq and Afghanistan. Because right there in the Mojave Desert, they've got true deserts, which is similar to Iraq, and they've got mountainous and mountain yeah. combo similar to Afghanistan. So all Marines, most Navy, and some Army all go to Twenty Nine Palms, which is right beside Palm Springs uh, yeah. for like a big training exercise. It's like a month long, like a month or so before you deploy each time. So I did three deployments. So I think I ended up there three times, except yeah, the farthest I ever saw was the inside of the Palm Springs airport for about 15 minutes. Uh, and then we went, we snuck off base and went to a bar. Oh God, I hope it's after the statute of limitations on USC charges, whatever. Uh, so I saw a bar in Palm Springs, California uh, for about an hour and a half. And then I saw the inside of the Palm Springs airport and that's about it. Damn, how long were you in the Marines? Five years. Wow. Three tours in five years? Holy shit, dude. Yeah, dude. I've got two veterans on the show. This is I did. Yeah, I, I went back it. to back. Uh, so I went uh, Fallujah, came home, was home about three months. They offered me the ability to deploy with the West Coast unit because I was stationed at Camp Lejeune. Yeah. So I went, yeah, I'm in. Like, send me back. Went to Al-Assad, then got back, spent about eight months home, and then did a Mew uh, and floated all over the Atlantic and Africa and did a bunch of cool stuff and then came back. You were single, right? When you were able to volunteer to go back in? Uh, no, I, I was married, and that is why I was not married oh, anymore sorry. the first time. Sorry. Sorry, the man. first time. Well, we always learn that lesson. And I just wanted to thank Brett for coming by and sharing some of his wisdom from working in PR and the cannabis industry. And I really appreciate your time. Uh, and then I also really appreciate all of our members that have provided uh, some financial uh, you know, shillings for us. And then also all the likes and subscribes that we get. Uh, Brett, have a great time in uh, California, and please share some of that stuff on your LinkedIn so we can kind of follow the uh, the, you know, the adventure. I've got LinkedIn Live as of like 48 hours ago, so I plan on giving everybody like full unfettered access to me running around like a kid in a candy shop. Yeah, it was a lot of fun going to Humboldt. So like that, that little adventure that mm. you're going to go on sounds like just great. So all right, everybody yeah. have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and we'll see you after the holiday.